I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. In addition, you can reach more messages and more Bible teaching on gospeldynamite.org as well. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God? You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. I invite you to take your Bible as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were crowns, many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses and of them that sat on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both great and small. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him which, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The opening chapter of the Revelation sets the tone for everything else that will happen in the book. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 verses 7 through 8 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him in all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now this book is about Christ, and it's about his return to this earth to rule and to reign. 
Revelation chapter 5 takes us into heaven. God is shown holding a book that is sealed with seven seals in chapter 5 and verse 1. A search is made in heaven and in earth to find someone worthy to open the book, but no one is found. We see in Revelation 5 verses 2 and 3. John weeps at this news because he desperately wants to know what's written in the book, Revelation 5 and verse 4. John is told not to weep because the Lamb of God is worthy to take the book, Revelation 5, verses 5 through 7. When the Lord takes the book from the hand of God, heaven erupts into praise and worship because the Lord Jesus has been found worthy to take the book and open the seals, Revelation 5 and verse 8. Now, when we studied that chapter, we discovered that the seven-sealed book was the title deed of the planet Earth. You see, Satan is called in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, the God of this world. He may be the little g God of this world today, but he's not worthy to retain his grip on the world. This world belongs to Jesus, and it belongs to Jesus alone. And the day will come when he will take possession of this world away from Satan. This world belongs to Jesus because of three great truths. Number one, it is his by right of creation. He made it. It is his by right of Calvary. He redeemed it. It is his by right of conquest. He will retake it. And the entire book of Revelation has been leading up to this great moment, and we're going to consider that today. The entire purpose, the whole purpose of the tribulation period, chapters 6 through 18, is to prepare the world for the coming of the king. And the passage that we're studying today speaks of that great moment in future, in the future, when Jesus will return to this earth in power and glory to claim what is actually his. The first time Jesus came into the world, he came as a redeemer. The next time he comes, he's coming as a ruler. The first time he faced a cross, the next time he will wear a crown. The first time he came, there was a two. And the next time he comes, there will be a throne. For about 6,000 years, the human drama has been unfolding. Since the day man sinned in the garden, the entire history of the world has been moving toward this one tremendous event. And that event is the day when Jesus Christ returns to this world in power and great glory to reign on the throne of David. Isaiah 9, 7, Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. When Jesus was here on this earth, he made many promises to his believers, but perhaps none is as great as his promise that he will indeed return to the earth one day. Matthew 24, verses 27 through 30. In fact, the last recorded words of the Lord Jesus in the Bible, according to Revelation 22 and verse 20, is, I quote, Surely I come quickly. The fact of the matter is, friend, Jesus Christ is coming again. We've already seen that he will return in the rapture to claim his people and take them to glory. That's John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 and 52. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 17. However, just as every coin in your pocket has two parts, so does the return of Christ. The first part is when he returns in the clouds to receive his bride. The second part is when he returns in glory to defeat his enemies and to reign upon the earth. My friend, it's that event that we want to focus on this morning. Now, many famous men have left us their legacy in their words. 
For instance, President Nixon is remembered as saying, I am not a crook, but he was. Bush said, read my lips, no new taxes, but there were. Clinton said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, but he did. Now the point, what is the point? Most men's words are just that, they're words. However, the words of Christ are truth. Everything he ever said is true. And when he tells us that he's coming again, you'd better believe it. I want you to know this morning that the king is coming. He is returning to this earth some glorious day to reign in peace and glory upon this earth. And you need to be sure that you're ready to meet the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, in the consideration of our scripture, we look in verses 11 through 16. We see his coming will be visible. When the rapture takes place, it will be so sudden, so swift, that people will not even know what is taking place. Like a thief in the night, Jesus will come and steal away his jewels from the earth and take them to heaven. The rapture will be an event that will be sudden, but it will not be a visible event. However, when Jesus Christ comes the second time in glory and power, everyone, everywhere will know about it, Revelation 1 and verse 7. In our text, I want to call your attention to verses 11 through 13 as well as verse 16. These precious verses tell us something about what Jesus will look like when he returns to the earth the second time. Notice with me what the Bible says about the appearance of Jesus. Verses 11 and 12, we see his nature. From this description, it is clear to see that Jesus is a little different than he was the first time he came. Verse 12, he is full of glory. This verse tells us that Jesus Christ wears on his head many crowns, and there are not crowns like the Antichrist wore. In Revelation 6 and 2, we're told that he was given a crown. The word used there refers to a victor's crown, a stephanos. Very literally, it has reference to the olive leaf crowns that were given to the victors in the Greek Olympic Games. On the other hand, Jesus wears many crowns. And this word is the Greek word diadems, and it refers to the crowns of royalty. Now, while the Antichrist has been given a crown, Jesus already wears them. Jesus is already king of kings whether men acknowledge the fact or not. People can pretend that Jesus is not Lord, but one day his sovereignty will be revealed with great power and glory. This verse also says that his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now this speaks of his holiness. When we see him return the second time, he comes not as a meek and lowly lamb. He returns as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He returns not in humility, but in power, in authority, and in glory. What a difference there is between the Jesus of the first advent and the Jesus of the second advent. The first time he came as a servant, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. The first time he came, he was despised and rejected of it. He was a man of sorrows. He appeared to be nothing more than, than one more man among millions of men, Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. The first time he came, 
No one but a handful of common people even took note of him. The first time he came, those who hated him without a cause saw to it that he was put to death. However, things are different this time around. Now, he doesn't appear as a servant. He comes as a king. He hasn't some to suffer, but to render judgment. Now he has not come to die, but he has come to visit death upon all those who have defied him and despised him. He has returned in power and glory. What a glorious Savior we have. God help us to see him as he is and worship him accordingly. Notice with me in verse 11. He is faithful and true. Now I am sure for many that it looked like Jesus would never return, but the Bible says he is faithful and true. He can be depended upon to keep his word forever. What he says he will do, and you can bank on it. He will do it. The Antichrist, like all other world leaders, rose to power writing the back of lies and false statements. However, when Jesus appears, there are no attempts to prove that he is who he claims to be. He shows up as a king, and the world knows it is true. Now, let me give a word to the saints here. Always remember that you can trust Jesus. He always keeps his word. If he's made you a promise, claim it with the knowledge that he will surely bring it to pass because the Bible teaches he is faithful and true. Verse 11, we see that he fights in righteousness. All down through history, there have been wars. Many have fought for foolish reasons. In fact, all wars boil down to one thing, sin. They all come from the fact that men want to be God. They try to place themselves in a position where they will be in total charge of the world. And when they do this, other men stand up and say, no, you will not reign over us, and war is the result. Jesus, on the other hand, wages righteous war. His cause is a just cause, and he fights the battle of the Lord. We may like to think Jesus of, uh, as a man of peace, and he is the prince of peace, but my friend Jesus Christ is going to make it clear here in the Revelation. He is a man of war. Now certainly God will pursue peace, but if man will not repent, there will come a day when that man must do battle with God. and He will not allow unrighteousness and sin to go unchallenged. He will make war with the enemies of God. Verses 12 and 13, verse 16, we see his names. When the Lord Jesus returns, three new names are attached to him. And these names reveal much about his character, about his person. Verse 12, we see the name of mystery. The Bible tells us that Jesus has a name written on him that no man can know. There's been ample time for people to know the actual name of Jesus. And perhaps they knew his name, but just like a byword. Now they cannot know him at all. 
Don't wait until he returns in judgment to see him. You want to see him as your savior. You do not want to see him as your judge. Verse 13, we see the name of ministry. He also called the word of God. This is a name of his ministry. Ever since he stepped onto the scene, Jesus has ministered through his word. In Genesis 1, he merely spoke, and this vast universe and all that is contained came into being. When he walked in this world, he made the word of God live in the eyes of men. John 1.1 and John 1.14. When he returns in power and glory, he will speak the word to all of his enemies, and he will be slain before him in that day. I say to you that Jesus is ministering right now through his word. It is the word of God that reveals our sin. It is the word of God that points us to a redeeming Savior. It is the word of God that tells us how to live. And today that word can be such a blessing in your life. However, if you refuse to receive the word of God and come to Jesus Christ for salvation, you will face the word of God in judgment. And in that day it will contain no words of mercy for you, only damnation and judgment. Verse 16, we have the name of majesty. This verse tells us that when Jesus returns, he will have a name embroidered on the thigh of his, his garment. This name is a title that he has always deserved, but has one which has never been acknowledged by men. In fact, while he was here on this earth, his own people refused to acknowledge him as king. Pilate, the Roman governor, placed a cruel, mocking title over his head as he hung on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 37, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. My friend, Jesus is far more than just the king of the Jews. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and one day he will return in power, and the world will be forced to admit that which they have always denied, that Jesus is indeed king. Have you made that admission yet in your own life? Verse 14, we see the armies of Christ. Every king has an army, and the Lord Jesus is no exception. He has an army that large and of a special nature. Notice how his army is dressed. Bible says they're wearing fine linen, white and clean. There's no armor, no mention of them having weapons. Now, isn't this a strange way to send soldiers into battle? Well, it would be if they were any other army. But this is the army of heaven. And the king, Jesus Christ, does all the fighting himself. Who is in this army? Well, the attire gives us a little clue. Look at verse 14 and then look at verse 8. It would appear from the apparel that this army is the bride of Christ. In other words, it is made up of you and me. We will be riding in that army when the Lord Jesus returns to claim victory over his enemies. Verse 15. 
When Jesus returns to fight this battle, he doesn't bring guns. He doesn't bring tanks, artillery, or nuclear weapons. He merely brings his word. And remember that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. He has the power to help men, and he has the power to judge men. Instead of needing vast arsenals of weaponry, all Jesus needs is a word, and his enemies are forever defeated. Notice the words of Isaiah 11, verse 4. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked it's mentioned here that jesus will rule with a rod of iron the word rule means to shepherd after his enemies are defeated the lord jesus will establish his kingdom and he will lead the peoples of the earth like a shepherd leads his flock He will in that day lead them aside all the still waters and he will cause them to lie down in the green pastures. You see, he will be a shepherd to all men. It's also mentioned here that Jesus will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. What a picture this is. Like a man crushing grapes under his feet to force them to release their juices So the Lord Jesus will crush this world under his feet and he will crush all the life out of every opponent of righteousness and God. Notice with me in verses 17 and 18. His coming will be violent. The slaughter will be so great when the Lord does battle that God calls for the fowls of the air to come and help dispose of the bodies of the slain. Revelation 14 verse 20 tells us that the blood will be up to the horse's bridle. What a slaughter that'll be. Verse 18, the flesh is to be consumed. Notice with me that all levels of the army of God's enemies are on the menu for this great supper. These enemies are literally on the menu, a buffet of God's enemies for the fowls of the air. In life, they were separated by class and rank. Here we see slave and free man, small and great, All are reduced to nothing more than food for the scavenger birds in that day. My friend, what a lesson. In life, they were different. Some gave orders, others carried them out. But in death, they're all equal. Friends, death is the great leveler. No matter who you are, when death comes for you, everything you had and everything you were will be no more. Your money, your position, your power, your intellect, your everything will be gone. If you leave this world without having trusted Jesus as your Savior, then you have nothing but hell to look forward to. Some think that they will make it because 
of this reason or that reason, but the truth is none will make it without Jesus Christ. When you leave this world, you had better know Christ. If you don't, you will go to hell. Thirdly, I'd show you in verses 19 through 21, his coming, not only visible, not only violent, but his coming is victorious. Verse 19, the Bible teaches that the armies will be drawn to Armageddon, all the armies of the world, armies that are enemies today, will join together to fight against the Lord Jesus when he returns. Armies that were fighting with one another just before Jesus comes back will join forces in an effort to defeat the Lord and his army. But this is meant to be. God will roll them here to his killing field so that he might execute his wrath upon all the enemies of the Lord God. Their desire shall be put to an end to the Lord and all he represents, they will fail miserably. Verses 20 and 21, earth's armies will be destroyed at Armageddon. These two verses tell us the amazing news of how this battle turns out. In verse 20, we see the devilish duo, they are destroyed throughout the tribulation period. The Antichrist and the false prophet had led people to believe that they were superhuman. They had used deception to convince the world that the Antichrist was in fact God. And their plan was so convincing that the world bowed down in reverence to the beast. However, when the Lord returns... It quickly becomes apparent that these men, despite all their bluster and their miracles, were nothing more than con men. These men are taken and they receive a fate worse than death. They are cast alive into the lake of fire. They are sent directly into hell. And Jesus will claim absolute victory over these men. In verse 21, the doomed multitudes are destroyed with the image of the great leaders being taken alive and cast into hell, still burning before their very eyes. The Lord Jesus will speak the word and all these armies will be destroyed in an instant of time. Their blood will saturate the cloths of the Lord Jesus in verse 13 and the fowls of the air will devour their rotting flesh without firing a single shot. Jesus Christ will prove himself greater than every opposing army and greater than all the mighty military men that can muster against him. What a horrible day that will be for all the enemies of the Lord. Oh, but friend, what a glorious day it'll be for those who love him, look for him, and for those who ride with him. When these things are read, they sound almost too fantastic to be true. However, everything, every article, every, every participle, every, everything I preach this morning will come to pass. And when, while this happens, rather, while this happens, this is not an event that you should have to worry about. Because if you are born again, you will witness the victory of the Lord from the air. 
as we ride before him, we will see our beloved bridegroom dispatch all our enemies in an instant of time. What a glorious sight. On the other hand, if you are not saved, you may very well be in that crowd of soldiers that is defeated instantly. Which would you rather have this morning? The peace of heart that comes with being born again or the doubt and the fear that comes with being lost? Where would you rather serve? Would you rather serve with a victorious, glorious army or with an army that is defeated before it's even formed? My friends, you can be born again today if you come to Christ and accept him into your heart and your life. Will you do that this morning? Will you be ready when the king comes? Because my friend, the king is coming. Oh.